Okay, if you have a Bible, turn to the book of First Peter. I'll be reading First Peter chapter one, verses three through five. First Peter one, three through five. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being protected through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Father, I ask for the grace and the mercy towards me and these people by you causing me to be faithful to the gospel that is laid out in our passage this morning. Do it to your glory and do it to the building and the salvation and the sanctifying of your church, I pray. Amen. Let's look at God's holy word here. This morning, our main focus is verse 5. So, what I want to do, this is our third week. We're working our way through the epistle of Peter, his first epistle. So, let's take verse 5 here and see it in its context, at least back to verse 3 for the moment. We have seen that in verse 3, God acts. It's not about us acting. It's about God acting based on nothing in us. His mercy. According to His mercy, if you're a believer, He has caused you to be born again. And we saw the means through which He does it, in verse 3, is through His Son, through Jesus Christ, His resurrection, which means He had to die. So the work of Christ is the means through which He does this, and we saw the ultimate goal of God causing persons to be born again and to come unto, because that's what new birth creates, a living hope. That is, new birth produces in sinful people the faith by which they're saved and connected to Christ. And the ultimate goal is that there is still future, a salvation out there that's being reserved for them, kept, imperishable, undefiled, in heaven for them. That brings us to this morning. Who are these people? Does this text say anything about what they look like? That's what verse 5 answers this morning. We have seen from eternity past, verse 1 and 2, He chose you, caused you to be born again. That's in the past. If you're a believer right now, if you're not, it could be your future. 
In the past, if you're a believer, He's caused you to be born again. And now in the future, eternity future, there is an inheritance. But what about this morning? What are we supposed to see right now in the present? Verse 5 says this. It is those who have this future inheritance. They are they, quote, who by God's power are being protected or guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, for these people, God's power is protecting, guarding, keeping them for the future salvation through faith. In other words, He causes a person to be born again, and then He doesn't jump back now that they've come to their initial saving faith in Christ. He doesn't stand back and say, I wonder if they can cause themselves to persevere in that faith till the end and inherit eternal salvation. No. He causes them to be born again. He brings about saving faith. And now verse 5 says, something in these people is happening right now. It is that they're being protected. In this world, through faith. That faith, that's not God's faith. The faith to which they're being protected in is this thing in the heart of those who have been born again that cling to trust in Jesus and His work and the promises laid out in Scripture. He's not saying God is protecting those if they get themselves to continue in faith and persevere. He's waiting. Oh, you did it? I'll protect you. It's not what the text is saying. It's saying He's protecting these people by enabling them to persevere in faith. That is the protection. Both are the means through which God is protecting them. That is this. The means through which believers will make it to final salvation is because God, by His power, that's the first means, is protecting them. Secondly, through their faith. Through God's power enabling them to live by faith. And just one more thing we got to see so we don't misinterpret Peter here and see it in the large context is that he goes on in the next two verses. So when he says, through their faith, he clearly has verses 6 and 7 in mind when he says that, which say, look at it. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. And if you've been born again, you've come to saving faith, how could we not rejoice in what we have heard in the first five verses? He says, you get it? In this now, you greatly rejoice. And then he throws this in. Even though now, for a little while, that means till you're dead. If necessary, you have been grieved 
by various trials. This is a purpose. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, even though gold is tested by fire, but that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 9, he concludes this section this way, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, what? The salvation of your souls. And so, he's saying, we are protected not from trials. Not from happenings. Setbacks. Horrible. Utterly unwanted telephone calls. <laughs> he says you're being protected through them to the end. That's what we have in front of us in our text. Now the question then this morning is this. How, when we... Okay, we want to say this stuff. What is really going on in the Christian life here? How are we to understand that we are being protected by God's power through faith in this world where there is a lot of crap that's going to happen? Let me just put it in real life context. You can use your life. I'll, I'll use mine here. In 1981, I was 19 years old, wind blew. We saw this last week. It just blew, and I was changed. The gospel then became the most precious jewel alive to this sinful, wretched creature. Saving faith came about. Okay, that's 1981. That's 28 years ago. The question is, in our text, what is supposed to be seen from 1981 when I came to faith in Jesus Christ until the future salvation. In other words, does the last 28 years of my life have anything to do with inheriting final salvation that's laid up for you in heaven? It means, does what's happening in the grievous trials, pain, Crying, setbacks, victories, temptation, sin, and all that. Anything to do with inheriting final salvation. The Apostle Peter does not leave that question unanswered. He doesn't leave it implicit. He, in verse 5, is clear. And he is explicit. He says, this is what you see of these people whom God regenerated, caused to come to saving faith. What do you see from there to the grave? You see this. They are those who, by God's power, are being guarded, protected through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Believers are secure in Christ because God is securing them. God is doing 
it all from beginning to end. And so he's saying, be secure. Be secure knowing God is doing the work. And then you've got to say, well, how do I know that's me? Well, the text says, look at your life. The way we know that that refers to us, that are, am I a true believer, am I genuine, is that today you have faith. You're trusting in Christ as a remaining sinful being. That's the answer. How do I know He's protecting me? How do I know I'm one of being protected? Because mind-boggling, I woke up again and I still love Him. That's how you know. I still cling to Him. I still bank my hope on Him. What we have in these first three weeks, in these first five verses of 1 Peter, He's saying, it's just like He's saying this, you want, you want me to give you the essence of Christianity? You want me to give you the essence of God-saving persons? In, the, in a nutshell, in a large outline, he says, this is what it looks like. Verses 1 and 2. God chose you according to His foreknowledge. And so He sent Christ in order to purchase it. Sprinkling of His blood in verse 2. And then He caused you, that's how you know, to be born again. Producing in you saving faith. Living faith in Jesus Christ. In the message of the gospel. And he says, he is protecting you, guarding you all the way to the future inheritance by sustaining your faith. And thus you will grab it at the end. See, Christianity isn't one part of that. Salvation isn't one part of that. Salvation is that. This is what I mean. Let me, I want to turn to one other text I think is such a stark, clear parallel to what we see in 1 Peter. And that is what the Apostle Paul does in Romans chapter 8. It's back there after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, book of Acts, and then Romans. In Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, Paul's doing the same thing Peter's doing. He says it this way. He's talking to Christians, and Paul says, For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to become formed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, he also glorified, and that's future. Christians and theologians for centuries have called what Paul says here, and I think accurately so, the chain of salvation. Not salvations. There is only one salvation. Those who are being saved, their life could be said to be this chain. And the reason they call it the chain of salvation, because clearly the way Paul lays it out, there's no such thing as having one link in the chain, actually having it, and not having the rest of the links in the chain. 
In other words, the way Paul puts this, you cannot be a person whom God foreknew and not be called to saving faith by God. Doesn't work here. You can't be a person who's called. He says, whom he called, he justified. All of them. You can't be called by God to hear and have ears to hear, as Jesus would say. Let him who has ears to hear, hear the gospel and come to faith. You can't be called without being justified. Everyone who's called is justified because everyone who's called is called to saving faith. And if you're called, you will be, that's future, glorified on that day, His second coming, the resurrection of the body to a new eternal, physical, glorified state. It will happen. If you have one link, you have all the links. I don't normally do it. I just want, for, just for about 40 seconds, close your eyes, and you ask this about your own life on this chain of salvation. It's you. We're talking about you now. On the chain, let me just, as you keep your eyes open, if you love Christ this morning, you know that you have saving faith. This is you. If you're not sure, this could be you. Believe. So on that chain, you see that one end of that chain reaches back into eternity past. And the other end of that chain reaches into eternity future. On that chain, as you look back into eternity past, believer, you should see this. Chosen. Put your name in there. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And that change stretches into eternity future. And you should see an eternal, imperishable inheritance. Or as Paul says, glorified. Okay. Now, what's in between that chain? What are the links in between? You should be able to look back on that chain. And you look back about 2,000 years ago. And you see God sent His eternal Son to become truly human. And you see Him live perfect humanity, sinless for you. And you see He went to the cross and He was punished. Not for His own sin. Not for sin in general. But for your sin. Okay, you see that on the chain? And now you're not done. You look back on the chain, I don't know, it could be four minutes ago, or two years ago, or 15 years ago, or for me, 28 years ago, or 50 years ago. You see verse 3. He caused me to be born again to saving faith. Or the way Paul says it, He called you. Okay, we're not done. The question is now, on that chain, what are we to see between new birth in the end of the chain, eternal, future salvation? The answer is verse 5. You are one who by God's power are being guarded, protected through faith for salvation at the end of the chain ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, open your eyes. That's what he's saying. 
Now, there are two errors to avoid in understanding this chain. One is this. Oh, okay. I'll buy that. I'll buy what we saw last week in verse 3. Okay, God did this miracle. Yes, without His grace, I would never come to faith. Yes, okay, I'm a believer. But now there's those chain links from here to the grave, at least. And that means i got to wake up every day and I have to start creating more links in the chain so it can finally connect to eternity. That's not what he's saying. See, with that, you have this idea, okay, maybe I, Joe LeMay, will create those links in the chain and make it. Or maybe I won't. The other error is the opposite error, and it's rampant in the evangelical church world. I got the link of new birth. Yeah, there it is. I'm born again. I believe in Christ. Saving faith. It, it initially happened here, and there's that link. And the next link in that chain is eternal future. Nothing in between. So... It doesn't really matter how I live, how I feel, where my heart is. I'm secure. If I love Christ tomorrow or not, is of no consequence. Because I'm going to heaven. Because I had the link of new birth connected to the link of the eternal future. It is just blatantly unbiblical. Both of those worldviews are blatantly unbiblical. In the first, there is no security of your salvation at all because it's all up to you. Frail, sinful. Come on, you know who I'm talking to, right? Yeah. I'm one of us. Sinners. And so you're not going to know if you're going to forge tomorrow. How do you know you're going to believe? There is no security. And the opposite one is that it, it gives people the idea of security. It gives them what we call this assurance. Are you saved going to heaven? Yes, of course. You got it. And it's false assurance. The idea that between coming to faith in Christ and living the next 43 years doesn't matter where your heart is, is blatantly unbiblical. But many, many people think, because they're taught, whether I live by faith or not since 1981, whether I'm being protected by God's power, enabling me to trust in Christ repentantly, that's part of the daily life of only real Christians, and putting my hope in Him, loving Him, looking to, being desperate for, as we sang this morning by that born-again man, David saying, take not your Holy Spirit from me after his grievous sin. That's a sign that saving faith was real. God was protecting and enabling that. But many people think, whether I have God protecting my faith or not, doesn't really matter. I said a prayer. I walked an aisle. The pastor said, repeat after me and invite Jesus into your heart. 
And then he assured me, you're saved. You can trust Christ. He would be a liar if you didn't make it to heaven. And those statements are a lie. They are deceptive. They cause people to have a false assurance, and their security is not in Jesus. Their security is not in the person of Christ, in the work of the cross, in the promises that He purchased. Their security is that I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, I signed a card. See, what that perversion of the gospel is trying to do It's trying to get rid of all the New Testament if clauses addressed to Christians. Those I'm going to to come to a couple of them in about 10 minutes. Those clauses that speak directly to us Christians and say, if you continue in the faith. Don't like that! We've got to construct a theology so that we can breeze over those texts as if not real to me. What we should see in our lives as believers in this chain is verse 5. That you are one who, by the power of God, are being protected, guarded through faith in order that you will receive that salvation, which still future, ready to be revealed, in the last time. See, the question is for every one of us who profess Christ is right now, what do we see in the chain of salvation of our own life? In other words, what is connecting these, what are the links between new birth and the future salvation? It is verse 5. I'm a believer. I'm a sinner. And I hate my sin. And I woke up a believer again today. And repentance flowed again today. Christ is my treasure. And you have assurance. Day by day. That's the biblical image. And it's very different from those other two I just gave. Because if you're hearing this, you, you sh- this is what on the surface people feel. Oh, then there's no security. My security seems uncertain. But that popular version of eternal security, you said the prayer, you walked out, that was it, period. Don't connect anything to that. If you did that, Everything else is totally disconnected from that. Yeah, you might not get rewards in heaven. You'll lose rewards. But it has nothing to do with securing the eternal inheritance. Like that, that sounds secure. But Peter says, you should be seeing that you're being protected through ongoing faith. Oh, on the surface that feels a little un- or insecure. You following me? The Bible is saying either there will be links in the chain of salvation from new birth to the future inheritance of faith or you will not inherit eternal life. The Bible does not guarantee 
security of heaven at the expense of a love for God and persevering faith. And on the surface, that's what feels a little uncertain. Okay, deal with the other one real briefly now too. The other one, I got to do it. I got to forge these links. Boy, there is no security. Oh, no, 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 no. Biblically, Christians are to fight to see in Scripture and embrace the work of God and find their assurance in Him and in Him alone. See, that's what Paul's doing in Romans 8 that we saw. In the, when you get the chain of salvation, when you, when you get it, you see there are no dropouts. Yeah, do you see evidences that you love Christ? That means something came by and hit you in the head and it left that result. Or the wind blew. I mean, I had a, a, at home group on Wednesday, I, I, this illustration came up, so it's a crude one. Trying to explain what comes first. If I walked up to Dennis right now and smacked him in the head really hard with some hard object, a welt, and a, you start to see it grow within a matter of seconds, a big old bump on his head. When you see the bump, you're going to say, that bump caused Joe to hit him. And you think, no. And but all kinds of us fellow believers think that about new birth. New birth causes the bump called saving faith. If you see that in the chain of salvation, there are no dropouts. That's what Peter's saying. There are no dropouts. Peter does not have room for the idea that God actually, that's the key, causes a person to be born again, but doesn't inherit the future imperishable heaven that's undefiled. He, there is no such thing. And in between that, he says, this is what they, they look like. Okay, here, let me do it again. May I repeat myself, honey? Okay. What verse 5 is saying to us about what is the Christian life? It's saying there is a salvation that is still future. It's clear. It's ready to be revealed. It's not revealed yet. The second coming hasn't happened yet. The judgment day hasn't happened. In Christ and resurrected by hasn't happened. It's future. But Christians are those who have been born again. That means they believe in the gospel. They love Christ. They, we are saved right now. But, in a sense, that salvation is still not complete. That is, there is an inheritance, according to our text, that we are to receive at the end, the last day. Which means, there in this life is a battleground. A battleground to fight the fight of faith. It's, that battleground is called this mortal life from new birth to death. Okay, so first, it's future, eternal. 
That means, secondly, there is danger all around on the way to inheriting the future salvation. Thirdly, therefore, we need ongoing protection. We need the best possible guard over us. Because our security does not mean there is no battle to be won. It doesn't mean there's no battle to be fought. There is an ongoing battle to be fought and to be won. And we thus are desperate to have protection that is far beyond what we are able in our own power. We mentioned John Bunyan earlier. If you have never read the classic allegory of the Christian life written 350 years ago in the 1600s by John Bunyan called The Pilgrim's Progress. You should read it. Because he's illustrating what we see here. It's biblically accurate. You, you have Christian coming to faith and his family doesn't, in the first part of the book, his family does in the second part of the book, but in the first part, doesn't. He falls into the miry pit. You ever done that, Christian? And then he is finally rescued. And then he hooks up with another fellow believer named Hopeful. And one day they get off track into the wilderness. And here comes a massive, huge giant called Giant Despair. And he grabs them by the nap of the neck and drags them to his doubting castle and throws them in the dungeon. And every day for a few weeks, he comes down to the dungeon and beats the living daylights out of them bloody. And they just want to give it. It's over. We should probably kill ourselves. And then it finally dawned. He reached into the pocket. Oh, yeah. The Scripture. The promise of God. They grabbed it and looked at it. Yes, faith in it was real and grew again. And it was just that promise that all oh, the doors are now opened. That's the Christian life. He wasn't home free yet. He had a bunch more trials to go. So we need protection. And our protection comes from God. The text says, by God's power not yours. By God's power, we are being guarded for the future salvation. That's eternal security. That's what biblical eternal security means. Place your hope, believer, in His work, not yours. You, believer, will make it. But that doesn't mean there's no battle. There's a battle. It means we have confidence in God's work. And the means that God uses to protect is, quote, through faith. So let me just recap that. Just 15 seconds. There is a salvation, Christian, and it's not yet. It's still future. There is real danger on the way. Thus, we are desperate for protection. And the text says, God's power is what 
is protecting us. And the means God by his power is using is sustaining the faith of all those who are his. Doesn't mean you don't get thrown into dungeons and the holy living daylights beat out of you at times and you're wondering where your faith is. But if you're real, fall on him like David. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. And uh, I promise you, based on Scripture, if God caused you to be born again, He never will take His Holy Spirit from you. Now, let's think about the last part. God's doing this protecting. How? Through faith. What the heck does that mean? Think about it. What is the only thing that will keep a human being from the future inheritance of heaven? Is it death? And death will usher the believer into the presence of Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Death is not the danger. Illness, sickness is not the danger. In verses 6-7, we just saw, Peter says, not only that, God is sovereign over that, and He will be using the pains and the illnesses, sickness, persecution, family being ripped apart, and your guts being ripped apart. He will use it for those who are His to develop and even grow their faith while they're grieving. Okay, So that's not the danger. Satan? Mm, yeah. Uh, chapter 5 is going to say, Satan is as a roaring lion, roaring about seeking whom he may devour of those who profess faith in Christ. That's true. Uh, uh, temptation to sin, is that a danger? Yeah. Chapter 2, he says, temptation is waging, here's the battle, war against our soul. But the question is, why is Satan and temptation dangerous. It doesn't really get, you got to go down. you got to get to the road. Why is that dangerous on this road? What can ultimately keep a person from standing before God on Judgment Day? Absolutely clean and white as snow. Not of their own, but Christ's perfect righteousness confirmed is theirs. The only thing that can keep you teenagers or adults, is unbelief. Being an unbeliever. Not trusting the message and thus the person of Christ who speaks, promises, and gives commands. That's why verse 5 says, we are guarded from losing Final salvation. How? By God's power through His sustaining our faith. Now, get that. That's eternal security. Now, I'm going to quote a few scriptures. Because okay? these come to believers. And they are not to be trumped by some other text or idea that to be understood in their context. And believers have the opportunity to pursue full assurance of salvation, especially in the face of these texts. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 2, the Apostle Paul writes to the church, to believers, this. 
Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in Rome. And I pick up at verse 19. Then you, mainly Gentile Christians, then you will say to me, branches mean Jews, for the most part, were being unbelievers, not trusting in Christ. You will say to me, branches were broken off of the salvation tree so that I, a Gentile, would be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. Therefore, what, Paul? So do not become proud but fear. Well, fear what? Contextually, it can only mean this. Fear. Unbelief. Rising in your heart. Fear it. Why? He argues why. For or because if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. I mean, if you become an unbeliever from this day on, you live like an unbeliever, you, you look Christ Jesus habitually in the face and say, I know you said don't have sexual relations with a person who is not your wife or husband, but I'm going to do it regularly. That's a heart of unbelief. I could just go down list and list and list. It doesn't mean you don't sin, but you can't live in that habitually, unrepentantly, and justifying your sin. Jesus said, if you loved me, you'll keep my commandments. Okay, so uh, where, where was I? Verse 22. Note then, and hear it, the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen in unbelief but kindness to you if you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. The Hebrew writer writes to us Christians in chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Just check your heart and say, see if you take this seriously. It's a, not a good sign if you're in a place where you don't take Scripture seriously. He says, take care. It means take special precaution. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. 
Why? Verse 14. Because, here's the reality, we right now are people who actually do share in Christ if we hold firm our original confidence to the end. That just proves you're of Christ, is what he's saying. One more text. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, the Apostle Paul writes, And you who once were alienated, that's me, and hostile in mind to God, that's me, doing evil deeds, that's me, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Himself. If, oh wait a minute, (laughs) if indeed you continue in the faith Stable and steadfast, not shifting away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Here's the point. The only thing that can keep us from the future, final, imperishable inheritance is not continuing in faith. But get it. On the chain of salvation, for those who are being saved, hear the promise. It is God's work. It is God's power causing you to persevere in faith. That's what our verse is saying. And there are many in the popular evangelical church today who think that because Back then, I walked the aisle and I said a prayer. I invited Jesus to come into my heart. Therefore, no matter how I live and no matter where my heart's affections really are, that's irrelevant to me getting to heaven. I'm going to quote Jesus for a second. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, Jesus said, says, on that day, He says, He means the future day that we're talking about. That day, second coming, judgment. On that day, and this is scary, fellow professing Christians, scary. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Now, we don't do that here in our culture. In the Hebrew culture, to repeat, like Jesus would do, Amen, Amen, Lord. That is how you emphasize some. These are people who weren't peripheral. They will say, with emphasis, Jesus, not Buddha. Jesus, my Lord, you're the Lord. They will say to Jesus, they will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? They are churched. Did we not cast out demons in your name? We use the name of Jesus and cast out demons. Did we not? Did we not do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Why? Because he never knew. And in a saving way, they never knew him. The only way to the final inheritance of salvation is through the chain of persevering faith. This is why our verse 5 is crucial to understand. Our assurance of salvation, our security is not in making heaven unconditional. Our security is in God's power and commitment to fulfill the condition of imperfect but genuine continuing saving I mean, that's why the Apostle Paul writes things that so many of us present-day evangelical Christians really don't know what to do with because it doesn't fit our theology. When he writes to the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear. What? Unbelief and trembling. And then, watch, watch his theology. Because it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work it, for His good pleasure. He doesn't say, because you know God secures true believers, therefore you don't have to pay attention to work at your salvation, fear and trembling. The whole point is, those who are genuine by definition pay attention to the words of God in His holy Scripture. See, the if you continue in the faith kind of text that we just saw, what they do for those who are being saved, who have actually been born again, they inspire them. They don't discourage them. It, look. Picture it. But I have security. Okay, oh, okay here, here's your illustration. I'm going to check into a fireproof hotel. It's, it's plastered on the internet. And then when you get there, you say, this is a secure place. You don't want to die here. This is a fireproof hotel. And then there's some knucklehead who goes in to the counter, pays for his room, gets his key, goes up to the room. And he looks and he says, what? There's fire extinguishers on all four walls. And he goes over and he rips them off the wall and he throws them out the window. Because I believe in a fireproof hotel. Who needs fire extinguishers? Why are fire extinguishers in contradiction to a fireproof hotel? That's what so many professing believers do. I'm told I, I have fire insurance. I won't burn in the hotel of heaven. And all the fire extinguishers of if you continue, throw out the window. Doesn't make biblical sense. See, the if clauses or the threats against unbelief, that they do not make the genuine Christian feel insecure. Why? Because they take them seriously. 
Take care. Oh, trust me, they bring, they bring repentance. They bring differing feelings and aspects of life that, ooh, it's been eight months since I felt, whoa, Joe, where's your heart? Oh, like a couple weeks ago, reading Revelation. Where's your heart? That's mercy of God working on that. But they don't say, look at it, totally insecure, because they say, yeah, that's shining a light on my heart. Oh, Jesus, pour out your Spirit upon me. Show me where I need to repent. Genuine Christians aren't utterly thrown into despair with the if you continue in faith, because they look and say, look at that. Oh, you're merciful. They're talking about those people who don't take these statements seriously. The, the whole point is, that's not me! That's those who don't take them seriously. And that's why I, I have no problem this morning speaking harshly against false teaching on this area. There is such a thing as doctrines of demons. And they don't come through false religions. They come through the so-called religion of Christianity. Those who are being saved are those who live by faith, defined the way the Apostle Peter defines it right here in the context, verses 8 and 9. So Peter... What do you mean? What is He sustaining in my life? Not a life without tears and pain and struggle. That's clear, verses 6 and 7. And now verse 8. What is this faith that secures that future inheritance? It is this. Though you have not seen Jesus. Have you seen Him? I haven't. Peter did. I haven't. These guys, people, men and women, in all these churches he's writing to, have not. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and it's filled with glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. No wonder the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, writing to the church at Corinth, writes just very simply, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be a curse. Will we believers love Christ 12 months from now? That's the question. It's crucial that we do. Because Paul says, if we don't, we won't be saved will be cursed. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 24, verses 12 to 13, 
Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, that means there is a type of love that can grow cold. And it's the type of love that does not endure to the end. So we must continue to be diligent to love Christ in order to be saved. That's Christianity. Eternity is at stake. But now that question still is, how do you know you're going to love Jesus six months from now, a year from now, for 40 years from now? As we close and we come back to Peter's words now. It is the Apostle Peter who wrote this letter. It is Peter who penned verse 5. And he knows by experience what he is talking about. Let me flash back 30 years before Peter wrote this letter. Before Jesus, in his mortality and humanity, Peter stood before him. And Jesus looked Peter in the eye and he said to him, Simon, Simon, that's Peter's given name, Okay, Jesus renamed him Peter Iraq. Simon, Simon, emphasis. Peter, look at me. Hear me. Satan has demanded to have you so that he might sift you like wheat. He'll just sift any faith out of you. Hear these words that Jesus spoke to him. And he didn't lie. But Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And so, therefore, what? Jesus isn't done. Therefore, Peter, when you have turned again, strengthen you. 30 years later, Peter writes our verse. True believers were those, those who Christ, this Christ, his Jesus, those whom he's saving are these people, those who by God's power, trust me, that wasn't a light statement for him. Those who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Got to hear this. Jesus did not say to Judas, I have prayed for you. He said to Peter, I have prayed for you. And so your faith will not 
This is what he means. It will not ultimately fail. Why? 30 years before he wrote this letter, Peter was warming himself by a fire in the courtyard of the high priest. And lots of people were mingling about that night and Jesus had just been arrested. Some big mouth woman says, I know that's one of them. And Peter said, I don't know him. Time goes by and someone else pointed them out. He said, I don't know him. And I think, but I won't use them, however he would cuss in Aramaic, he did it. I don't know that man. Thirty years later, he writes this to us. You are being protected, believer, by God's power. Peter did not go out and hang himself. He came back. He repented. And he loved his Savior. And he knew why. Because the eternal God who became and is now forever also fully human looked him in the eye and said, I have prayed for you that your faith would not ultimately fail. Christianity is not buying a ticket at Ticketron, going to a crusade and having someone say, say the prayer after me. Here's your ticket to heaven. It's not buying a ticket to that future concert of the glory of God music and stick it in your pocket. And for the next 40 or 50 years, never listening and preparing and liking the glory of God's music, but only downloading the world's music. I don't mean secular music, okay? I mean where the Apostle John says, if you love the world, if the world is really your God, if all that this temporal can bring to you is really where your heart is, the love of God just isn't it. Christianity isn't taking a ticket, putting it down there, loving the world for 40 years, and then say, okay, now I'm dead. Here's my ticket, Peter. No. He would say, I never knew you. So believer, in your battle, do you love Him? Do you trust the Gospel? You can't work to be saved. You can only receive Him. See it? My eyes are open. I I cannot not receive Him now. Has it happened to you? He prayed for you. Prayed 
for you. You, you want to look at his prayer? Turn to John 17. Not right now. Go home and turn to John 17. He prayed for you. The only way and the only reason any of us will make it is because of God's sustaining, sovereign power, forging link after link after link, which will connect us to heaven. Come on up. Let me pray for us in that precious and holy name of Jesus. Father, would you strengthen us believers? If there are any unbelievers, would you make for your glory believers by new birth? Would you continue now Take the roots of your word by the Holy Spirit and go deep in only the way you know of each heart here. May you continue to let us exalt as we will in a few minutes. Be blown away by the precious, totally non-mundane ordinance of water baptism to the glory of your holy name. Amen.